Haskell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Hello, it's Jeff Barton. Welcome to our June podcast. And yes, yes, I know it's July. I miscalculated the recording of this. But anyway, we've got some interesting stuff here. We start with an international perspective. Uh, we then talk about white working class communities, the challenges they have, not just in terms of teaching and leadership, but also in terms of Progress 8. We talk about the benefits of being a head teacher as part of a multi-academy trust. We've got inclusion, we've got funding. Oh, and we've got the boy I talked to, a year seven boy, who used to play trumpet. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Alex Beard. I work at an organisation called Teach For All, and I'm the author of Natural Born Learners. And I was asked to review Natural Born Learners for the TS, which I, I liked a lot. I get, I get sent a lot of books. I like this one particularly. For those people who haven't yet read it, give us a flavour of what you were doing in the book. Yeah, so Natural Born Learners tries to tell a hopeful story about the future of education through a global journey that I undertook to visit the people and see the places that are reimagining education for the future. So that takes in everything from the role that AI might play in education, and I went to schools in Silicon Valley to see those, where they're automating some aspects of what teachers do. I spent time in Finland to see how they built um, a culture that encourages creativity and self-expression. I went to South Korea to see how hard work and a very highly routinized system can lead to amazing academic outcomes, but also potentially damage kids' mental health. Um, and lots more, lots more besides. It's a very um, optimistic book, I think, and it's optimistic about being a teacher in a way, even though a lot of people would think that, um, I don't know, stuff to do with workload, the threat of robots coming, that all of that might be something we should be fearful of. Actually, you come out of this thinking that being a teacher is going to be a greater profession than it is now in a way, aren't you? Yeah, look, I think that anything that you look at about the future, whether it's that some jobs are going to be automated and therefore people won't have work or that we have to be more highly skilled and therefore kids must learn more in the short term. Everything seems to me to point towards the fact that there'll be nothing more important in the future than learning as much as possible and in the broadest possible sense. And that for me makes teaching the ultimate profession of the future. And I think that I can sense that we could create a really exciting moment about reimagining what that role could be, um, potentially freeing teachers up a bit more to have the autonomy that I think gives them a sense of purpose in their roles, but also to learn how to use technology in interesting ways, to get into the science of how kids learn, also thinking about how you organise different kind of cultures within a school. I just think that for me, teaching is like the breakout job of the 21st century, and we just need to start acting as though it is. It's great. One last question. What you often get, particularly on social media, is you get this kind of terrible polarisation. It's all about knowledge or it's all about 21st century skills. And what's so interesting about your book is you, you kind of explore and embrace all of those. And you're essentially saying to us at the end, it's about all of these things. It's about how you reconceptualise those. Just give us your, your, your... You can probably put it better than I just have. But uh, that, that is kind of what you conclude, isn't it? Yes, certainly. Look, I think there are these um, divisive debates in education and they're often driven by, um, you know, real science. People are basing their opinions in hard evidence and facts. Um, But I think people are choosing to disagree where they don't need to. And I think what we need to do is build more of a... Uh, consensus, a vision, a shared vision for education. I think nobody disagrees that knowledge is important and, you know, 
there are aspects of memorization which matter hugely in like developing creativity or critical thinking in the long term. I don't think there's anybody that disagrees that critical thinking and creativity are going to be really important in the education of the future and, and in kids having happy lives in which they have high well-being. So I think what we need to do is to narrate a single vision which is about creating a system or an approach where kids love to learn, they learn the basics that they need to to be able to develop their higher order skills but they are ultimately in pursuit of those higher order skills and they have access to opportunities to learn not only how to read and write and to solve math problems but also to use those things creatively and to pursue other creative interests whether that's in history or in science or in arts or in music or in sports I just think we have to understand that all of those things are part of a holistic education that makes kids happy, successful and well. Alex Beard, thank you very much. Rachel Wiles, head teacher of Priory Ruskin Academy. And tell us a bit about Priory Ruskin Academy. Uh, Priory Ruskin Academy is a result of a, uh, a school facing challenging circumstances. We've had a fantastic journey over the last nine years to a place which is now uh, deemed to be outstanding. Um, and I think uh, a big part of that is, is our curriculum and how we've ensured that the curriculum is ta- tailored to the needs of our young people and that we very much represent our specialisms within the sports and the visual arts. When you say it was in challenging circumstances, give us a flavour of, of what the school was that you inherited. So the, uh, the school had a three-year negative trend, sort of 100th percentile in terms of the CVA. I think expectations from the, from the students were very low. I think morale was uh, quite low amongst the staff. But there was an undeniable energy that, that was there in the school. So you and spotted a, something. Yeah, and it was from the staff. There was, a, there was a real sense of community and a real sense of potential that was alive in the young people. They just needed the right direction and the right boundaries. It's a school which just, to, to me, walking in, just breathes its values. So right mm. from the beginning you see a place which looks immaculate, celebrates students' work, where, as I walk around with you, you know the children, mm. they look you in the eye, they look smart... What kind of things have you done to to, to create that ethos? Um, I think at first uh, it was really quite directive, if I'm honest, um, and that's not my natural default. Um, But once we could come out of that, it was very much about moving from students feeling that they had to behave to want to engage. That was always the holy grail. And finding a shared set of values that really spoke to all of us, something that... We, we genuinely all invested in uh, that sense of community that was always there, that potential, that, that creativity um, that I think was latent in so many of the young people, uh, being able to identify that and really work as a, as a, as a team of, of students and staff to, to be able to find that essence of what is us and what mm. we're good at and what we can be proud about. Okay. Uh, two, two more questions. So you're part of a mat of 10, 10 or 11 yep. different academies. Um, what, what's, what's that like? What are the advantages it gives you as head teacher? Um, I think my main advantage is that I can actually do my job. <laughs> um, so for me, it's uh, my, my day-to-day work is about school improvement and working with the young people and looking at the teaching and learning and making sure everything that we're doing is maximising the outcomes for, for the people that I work with. Um, I have the huge benefit of working with other head teachers um, who I can go to for advice and guidance equally 
on there, um, and extended services. So my finance partner, my uh, HR, all of those people, my estates manager, all of those things that um, are there provided for me. Wonderful. And last thing, we're in uh, Lincolnshire here, which is a heartland of the selective system, yeah. <laughs> and it means there's a pretty competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And I walk into this school, you've got a couple of grammar schools in the town. Mm. This is, from where I am, a great community school. I mean, how would you characterise it in a selective system? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we are a truly comprehensive school um, and one of the things that I'm genuinely passionate about is making sure that any young person who walks through this door, irregardless of their ability, their background, can make excellent progress, can be uh, whatever uh, they can be. Um, So that's something that is is again about uh, the curriculum planning, making sure that it's rich and it's varied and it's wide and it's open and it captures the imagination of the kids. Rich Wise, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Hi, I'm Emma Harkins. I'm the head teacher of Hunting Tower Community Primary Academy in Grantham. And tell us a bit about your school. Uh, so my school is 104 years old. It was opened three months before the First World War and we, we serve the community. And even today we serve the community. We have a demographic which is very widespread. Um, a quarter of our pupils speak another language which are represented with positive, about 13 languages. And uh, what are you proud of at the school? Um, I'm proud of the ethos of the school and the drive that we have. We believe in children um, achieving their potential, whoever they are. Everybody's unique and different, just like everybody else, but they have um, the potential to be whoever they want to be. And it's our, it's our role to provide them with the experiences that will help them make the choices as they grow up in life. And, and how long have you been there? Um, I joined the school as a teacher in 1998. Um, I then became a senior leader the second year. I then, at eight months pregnant, became the deputy head. And from 2000 onwards, I was the deputy head. I was interim head twice um, and then became the substantive head 2016-17. Now, we're talking uh, at a momentous time because essentially for a week or so, if I remember correctly, you've moved from being a standalone academy and you've now joined this multi-academy trust. So tell us about the academy that you were and tell us why you've uh, joined this trust. So um, I was I was at the school in 2013 when we decided to become a standalone and at the time the standalone status was very much sold to the, acad- the school as an opportunity to become more financially viable and to provide greater opportunities for our pupils because we get direct funding. At that time within the local authority we had a much greater level of support. Uh, we still had locality support from inspectors, um, we could access support groups, training and CPD and such like. And to begin with, I would say for about the first year, year and a half, um, with the gaining advantages of disadvantaged pupil funding and those elements, it was successful. However, by about 16, 2016, it became very evident that it was a, actually a position of vulnerability. Um, it depends on the area that you work in, but um, we felt very much as if the strength that you had was, to a degree, at times, 
um, your ability to Google something. You know, you were, you know, you could have your union support, you could have the locality cluster support, but you were having to seek your resources, and and it, they were coming increasingly at a cost. Um, at the same time, I believe schools have become more of a welfare state, so reduction in services were becoming harder and harder. So we were, we produced a pastoral team where we had a bit in effect our educational welfare system, our pastoral system, um, our CAMs within it, and those costs became insurmountable. Um, increasingly, so when I became head in 2016, I was suddenly approached by a lot of multi-academy trusts, which approached us very much in the sense of, do you want to join my gang? <laughs> um, and, and, and in fact, it had been part of the governor's strategic di- direction that they routine, routinely routined, uh, reviewed whether or not they should become a, a multi-academy trust. And it was at the time that they had considered becoming an empty nest one mm. and widening themselves. Um, I was never fond of that view because I, I knew how much strategically we'd have to have in place and you can't as a standalone necessarily anticipate that if you've not experienced it. Um, so then we had a strategic review and the multi-academy trust that we chose to go with is one that's passionate about the outcomes of pupils in Lincolnshire um, and they, they are passionate about ensuring that head teachers can be head teachers, that they don't, you know, this, this concept of being the chief financial accounting officer um, and all of that accountability and responsibility, they would like to share the weight of that burden so that actually a head teacher can be the person who inspires children and staff to be the best that they can be and that is why um, we chose to join the Priory Federation. And uh, fi- final question, so does it feel different, I mean you, you haven't been here very long in no. this, this, this as part of the Trust, is it feeling different? Well, they, well it, the process almost started from the moment that the decision was made, we were already welcomed within to it, into it from certain elements, so I was invited to go to head teacher, primary head teacher cluster meetings, um, you know the support of quality assurance was put into place, the liaison, the, the wide um, network of people became very available during the due diligence process and literally uh, we joined last Friday and as of Monday I, I do use the term embraced literally I you know I feel I've had my service level agreement money in, in a week um, and I've sort of can tick off the people that I've spoken to everybody is so welcoming and supportive and it's because they want to support me and my school to have the best outcomes for pupils. What a great end to the week. Thank you. Brian James, um, I'm the head teacher at Ian Ramsey Church of England Academy in Stockton. You told an interesting story about uh, the journey to deputy headship. It was a bit, a bit like mine, actually. It took, took a while, didn't it? It did. Um, I think I found myself in a, a, a time where budgets were being cut, deputy head roles were being reduced, and therefore there were less to apply for. Um, so eventually when I, I did get back on to applying for deputy headships, I found myself in a position where I, w- I was coming second to internal candidates. Um, and uh, I was... You know, I'd read some of your own sort of ideas and thoughts about when you were becoming deputy head and how difficult that post was and and um, I, I had a discussion with one of my friends who was a head teacher and, and they just convinced me that maybe perhaps it was it, I shouldn't just apply for headship which I did um, and I got the first one I applied for which you know which is perhaps the right thing to do and just give us a give us a flavor of your school and then give us a flavor of what it's like to be um, a head working with an executive principal because it's a misunderstood role that and you speak very positively Absolutely. about it um, so our, our school is, is in Stockton. It, we take from about 27 different primary schools, um, mainly four, four feeders, but it's, um, it, it's truly um, a comprehensive school. We have a, a range of abilities. We have some very bright students and we have some very weak students as well. So we, we have big challenges within that. 
Um, in terms of working within uh, a multi-academy trust, uh, Ian Ramsey went into special measures in 2014 and was being supported by Jill Booth, um, the head teacher at uh, Venerable Bede in Sunderland. Um, it was then decided that the, the schools would become a multi-academy trust um, and she became the executive head. I was appointed um, a couple of terms later as the, as the head of school. Um, for me, it's been a really great step into into the role of head teacher, which I, I've now um, I'm now holding. Um, Jill's been able to support me; she's been able to, to guide me and continue to help me through my development. But also, headship's very uh, very lonely place and can be a very lonely place at times. But I've always had that support network there with with Jill and also the other um, head of school at the time, David Airy. So I could always turn to them for that support, which has been fantastic. And we're here in the northeast, and the northeast is, is sometimes talked about as you know, lacking in promise and ambition, and so on and so forth. And the reality, every time I come here, is I see good people working very hard in communities that kind of lost confidence very often in education. And what we see, without naming any names, is some kind of dubious practice as well. I mean, what's the what is the landscape like uh, here educationally? It's it's difficult, and obviously. Um we're in, we're in a position where we're trying to work with our children, we're, we're inclusive of all children, we're, we make sure that no child is left behind and we do everything we possibly can to make sure that you know, exclusions are, are limited. That, that's tough. Um, in terms of alternate provision, there's not a great deal available. In terms of buying that alternate provision, when we can buy it, it's very expensive, so it, you know, it's in terms of struggling with budgets and, and things like that. But you know, we have some very, very committed teachers in our school who are very passionate about the North East. We have some very passionate children who have got huge aspirations for their lives and um, you know, they go on to incredible things. And I suppose the other thing I'd like to bring up is, is it's always in the press that the number of children in the North East that aren't studying at an MFL. Uh, Ian Ramsey, you know, the children last year, there was just over 95% of the children that studied in an MFL. So you know, we, we, we really are seeing that as, as something that's really important to their education too. Yeah, and this kind of assumption that there are lots of children being off-rolled from schools. There will be some schools and some academies doing that, but actually, in general, what I hear about is, is people very committed to inclusion. Absolutely. You know, although we do have a number of um, academy trusts that, that, that are moving towards the off-rolling and large numbers of exclusions, there are trusts now that are starting to come together and work collaboratively because they have that inclusive belief and you know that their ethical leadership is really strong and, and they believe in that so i think that is a positive side of it too one last thing progress eight has been in the news recently uh, this is a part of the world which feels it's suffered in part because of progress eight because of the way it makes it harder for disadvantaged communities of a certain type to be able to show they've made progress is that a collective feeling amongst uh, leaders up here I think progress eight is, it, it depends in which school you work in. Um, you know, we work in a, a school with the vast majority of children are white British working class um, children um, and they do struggle with, with progress. You know, uh, some of our children who are um, EAL when they come into school, they make huge amounts of progress because simply they're starting from a very low point. So if you have a school with a large number of EAL, yes, that's challenging, that's difficult. However, you can show that progress. It's slightly easier. It's far more difficult for those white work, working class, particularly the boys. Brian, thank you very much. My name is Michael Laidler. I'm a head teacher at Ackland Grange School in Middlesbrough. And prior to that, you were a deputy. Uh, yeah, I was deputy head at Ackland Grange um, as well. Um, and then just before that, I was an assistant head teacher at CM.
Give us a quick flavour of Siam, first of all, because uh, uh, it had a memorable uh, phrase attached to it from Michael Gove, if I remember. Yes, it was an uh, area of the country that Michael Gove uh, decided to say that you could smell the defeatism um, when you walked into uh, any school around that area, which was the exact opposite, really, of, of, of Siam, um, Siam School. Um, we, as a school, um, ended up uh, working really, really hard with the students. Um, the school was uh, in special measures, um, but very quickly, within the space of a year and a half, two years, under the leadership of Dave Shields, who's the head teacher there and the senior leadership team, um, we raised aspirations and we made sure that students uh, understood what they needed to do and understood what was available for their futures and, and, and what it meant to them um, to get good uh, outcomes. And the school went from um, special measures to good in the space of 24 months. And from an outcomes point of view, we ended up finishing the top 1% of the country uh, very, very quickly because students could see the value of what we were trying to do. Yeah, and what, and what, what would you say was the secret of, the, of what you were doing there? Um, I think there was good systems put in place. I think uh, there was a lot put around the teaching and learning. Uh, James Henderson, who was their assistant head at the time, looking at that. But in reality, it's about ethos. It's about getting the students to, to understand that staff are going to run through walls and students will follow them. Um, and that was an ethos that Dave Shield and, and the senior leadership team tried to, to put in place. Um, and it was just a case of it was relentless. Um, no student was left behind. And, and that's the type of... Uh, ethos that I've, I've, I've tried to carry forward down into Acklam Grange. So you made the decision at your current school to go for the headship from being a deputy. How have you found the stepping up to head of school? Um, it's different. Um, I think at the time um, I feel extremely supported by the executive head teacher Andrea Crawshaw. Um, she's really, really worked hard with me and, and it's great because I've had the opportunity now to be a head of school but also have that mentor. Um, it's a little bit lonely at times, uh, definitely um, more lonely than being a deputy head teacher. I think when you're a deputy, you can be on the, on the ground and, and people come and speak to you more. Um, but I think as the head of school, um, it's about having that open door policy. But I think I put myself under a bit too much pressure at times, trying to have the right answers uh, and trying to be that person that everyone was supposed to look up to. And I've realised very quickly that actually it's about the team that's around you, not just the senior leadership team, but the extended leadership team as well. Um, and, and they're the type of people that you can put your hand up and go, right, what do we think we need to do next it's all about collaboration really and working together and uh, just finally the thing that struck me just listening to you talking about the school which has got um, a mixed clientele hasn't it Rena? Ra- racially it's it's mixed in terms of the backgrounds and so on but you talk about it as a family there in a very inclusive kind of philosophy just give us a flavor yeah absolutely um yeah 40 percent of our students are real and, and different students have come from different countries and um, there's over 27 languages yeah. uh spoke at the school and um what we've tried to instill through our age yes pride um which is we took a step back and we wanted to see what do we want our students to leave with yes really good outcomes but what's it all about as a, as a senior leadership team and as a school and and we're a huge community now right from the word going year seven students come into the school and they go around and visit the churches the mosques they have a real grounded understanding of the cultural background the faiths and beliefs of all of the um, other students within the school and we don't get any gang mentality there's, there's nothing around that it's very much a supportive uh, mentality And when people walk into our school um, um, it doesn't matter where they come from, where they live or, or what their parents are, have or haven't achieved. It's just about coming into Ackland Grange and being part of our Ackland Grange family. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Michael Randall. I'm Deputy Head Teacher at a school in Wiltshire. Uh, Michael, we've been talking about funding and there are some people who are in denial about the scale of the funding issue. What, what are things like in your secondary school? Uh, they're dire at the moment. Um, we are removing posts and not replacing them um, to the extent of uh, our business manager left and we haven't replaced her. So uh, we've had to absorb those roles among the senior team. 
um, puts a large amount of pressure on, on what's happening within the school. Um, also in terms of uh, the, the wider funding, we're having to look at class sizes going up to um, 36 to 38 uh, in order for us to be able to uh, get enough staff in front of the students. I mean, the, the thought of class size of 36 to 38 is the average, it sounds astonishing. Is that partly driven by uh, a re- recruitment issue? Uh, no, no. Uh, we, we're still able to recruit. We're a, we're a very good school and we've got a, um, a very good reputation. Um, it's purely and simply down to the lack of funding within, within the system, which means that I, I can't find those extra 50 hours, which means I have to remove a tutor group from, uh, from um, the, the system in order for us to be able to staff it. And if you're a politician uh, listening to this, what, what you'd probably think is, oh, well, there will be efficiencies that can be made in the system. What kind of efficiencies have you made? Well, we've cut, uh, we've cut all of our pastoral staff. Uh, we've cut back on um, our TAs. So um, we've, we've, we're down to three TAs. Uh, in a school of how, how many? In a school of 900. Uh, with uh, 45 uh, EHCPs within, within that school. Um, we've had to redesign the whole system of, of TA support so there's no, no TAs in classrooms anymore. Uh, we've looked at efficiencies, uh, reduction in senior team. Uh, we've reduced uh, leadership posts. We've reduced middle leadership posts. Uh, we've increased uh, allocations for teaching um, within all of those leadership positions. Um, we're really about as tight as we can possibly be and we're still short. And what's the effect of this on young people and what's the effect on your teaching workforce? It's, it's having a massive effect. Um, the teachers are working on goodwill now. We're, we're past the point of what is contractually obliged. We're, we're having to deal with goodwill all the time with our, with our staff. And our students are affected because they don't have the quality of uh, time with those staff um, and the quality of feedback in order to be able to improve what they're doing. Um, at the end of the day, we're here to ensure that they leave with the, the great outcomes that they deserve. Um, if we can't ha- spend the time with them in order to be able to do that, um, then the system's broken. Thank you. Uh, Lucy in uh, North Tyneside. And you, what role have you got? Um, I'm a head of school. I'm seconded from a, a local school. And I'm head of school in a school that's underachieving at the moment. And what's, what's its intake like? Um, we're on roll about 320, so it's approximately 60 to 70 pupils per year group. Yeah. And, and what kind of a kind of ethnic background and social? Uh, very much white British, um, with sort of 60 to 80 percent pupil premium per year group. And you're under pressure on the funding front. So, what kind of decisions are you having to take? Clearly, um, sort of first priority is staffing. So, the majority of funding goes on staffing. We're having to make real cuts around capitation, only buying what's needed. So, in terms of really trying to enrich young people's curriculum, that's difficult. Um, parents will struggle to afford some of the activities we would want to offer, and therefore, you know, it becomes limited what's offered and things that can be done at really low cost, rather than what we really want to to do. And have you had to, to, to make some, some cuts which you, you found really difficult in terms of opportunities they've taken away from youngsters? Yeah, um, I mean, we'd love to do outdoor pursuits trips or ski trips like children would get in um, independent school, like I had as a child because my parents could afford it and made a real difference to me. Um, just there's not a chance, for example, of affording a ski trip in a, in a, you know, with the pupil premium um, background that we've got in the school. Lucy, thank you.
So I'm Kieran Gill and I run a new programme called The Difference and we recruit teachers who are exceptional and committed to becoming inclusive leaders and take them on a two-year journey, a leadership journey, which places them in alternative provision settings for excluded pupils and upskills them in how to support the most vulnerable students. And why would someone want to go from a mainstream school into alternative provision for two years and then back into a mainstream school? So you're not Because you're not training them to stay in an alternative provision are you? No so I think lots of teachers and aspiring leaders come into education because they know they want to change the life chances of vulnerable children Um, but often a few years into their career they realise that they don't necessarily know how to do that and they don't know where to get that specialist training and that can be really disheartening particularly if you feel in the high stakes system that actually some of your most vulnerable learners are falling through the cracks and getting excluded. Um, So we provide specialist training for our leaders in how to understand contextual safeguarding, the vulnerabilities that uh, particularly affect children who might be excluded from school, um, how to support mental health and crucially how to support students' sense of control through their learning and their literacy skills so that they can go on and get great outcomes. And that specialist training is provided through a kind of fast-track career programme. So some of the biggest multi-academy trusts in the country, ARC, Oasis, Ormiston Academy Trust, have said they want to hire our leaders at the end of the two-year programme as deputy head teachers and assistant head teachers in their schools leading on inclusion. So this isn't about necessarily leaving the job that you love but actually becoming much more specialist at it and coming back to a school like yours with the skills that can transform students outcomes and reduce exclusion from school and it's a really positive message at a time when we hear too much about schools apparently off rolling or we hear about homeschooling which has got nothing to do with schooling it's simply students who are staying at home for one reason or another we keep hearing that and so what you're saying is that actually ap benefits from this because they're getting people in who are coming and learning from them but those mainstream schools are also learning from this aren't they because they are becoming more inclusive in the process yeah absolutely and and nobody comes into education thinking gosh i'd, I'd love to wake up this morning and off roll a load of kids so my offset looks better <laughs> nobody does that but i think actually you know we are seeing more and more symptoms of the fact that we're facing higher challenge more and more children who are interacting with social services for instance more and more um adult mental ill health um and we're, we're not necessarily always seeing the expertise to meet that challenge so when when we don't know what to do that's when perverse incentives um, can lead to horrible things like off rolling and illegal encouragement of home education but actually there are so many leaders out there who want to do things a different way and they want to hire teachers from the difference um, and other teachers who want to become those innovative leaders and finally there's a kind of curriculum which you're, you're in the process of developing at the moment it's going to have three key ingredients if I remember just give us a flavour of what somebody who's stepping into this form of leadership is going to be learning about great thanks Jeff so um, the people that we are recruiting are already exceptional teachers and we're bringing them in to add some capacity to their alternative provision school on teaching and learning and we support them to do that with uh, bespoke school improvement support creating action plans to improve teaching and learning particularly of literacy of students um, and also their sense of agency and control over their learning we know that lots of students are excluded quite close to their GCSEs and their outcomes can be very very poor so um, one in two are immediately neat straight after school. Our leaders learn from best practice in the sector in how to re-engage students and help them see their learning as as moving them onto a positive post-16 destination. Um, So that's the learning strand of our curriculum. Then there's a mental health strand of our curriculum um, which helps teachers understand about child development, about the 
the effect that trauma can have on young people and their behaviour and also the kinds of innovative practice that can repair some of that challenge in, in relationships for young people, particularly um, looking at schools like the family school that work with families alongside students to improve students' self-regulation, their self-esteem and actually ultimately their their learning outcomes. And then finally we've got the contextual, the, the safeguarding strand of our curriculum and that helps um, our leaders know much, much more about contextual safeguarding. Those are the specific kinds of concerns that particularly um, vulnerable teenagers might have including uh, child sexual exploitation, gang grooming, um, vulnerability to um, gang involvement and violence but also maybe addiction and um, drug use. And our leaders learn much, much more about the services outside of the school that could support them in, um, in keeping their young people safe. Um, so they may be statutory services, they might learn about how to interact with social workers, how to better collaborate with youth offending teams, but also non-statutory services, the kind of incredible charities who are doing really innovative and effective work with young people um, to help them make a success out of their lives after perhaps they've, they've made some mistakes. And this is inclusive leadership, isn't it? Because it's leadership which is looking out from your own institution, working with other partners, and so on but at the same time it's not you're neglecting your own institution your own institution if we get this right is going to benefit from it isn't it absolutely it's all about capacity building it's about how what are, what are the things that um, are fantastic in alternative provision schools for instance like identifying children's mental health needs and, and putting some therapeutic support in place what's that expertise that we could bring into mainstream schools um, and vice versa what's the expertise in helping students make um, progress in their learning close their GCSEs that we could take from mainstream and transport into alternative provision and it's about people looking outwards to think where is their fantastic practice and how can we either recruit that in as an individual or commission it in as a service um, or, or just learn more about it. Kieran Gill thank you very much. <laughs> My name is Marcel and I do trumpets. What year are you in? I'm in year seven. Year seven and uh, what do you like about this school? Well, I, I like, because when I came here, I saw that they had, they had music, which I'm really into, and I'm a very dramatic person, and they had drama, and I love drama. And they also had, um, they also had the running track outside, which not many schools in Wolverhampton have, and they also have a swimming pool, which also not many schools have. So I loved, like, the creative side of it, so I decided I wanted to come here. Yeah, it's got great facilities, hasn't it, yeah. the school? Really good. Now, you, you've got a bit of an interest and a gift for music, so tell me about what, what you got interested in. Well, first off, I got interested in guitar, and then I saw more of a brass side, and then I decided I wanted to pick up brass, and decided to pick up the trumpet. And then also, with the trumpet comes orchestra, and I loved orchestra because we were learning a piece of called Stronger and it was really interesting to see that there's so many people in orchestra, like there's violins, there's trumpets, there's guitars and there's saxophones and there's lots more, which is really interesting. So you started getting trumpet lessons, yeah. didn't you? And, um, and then what's happened there? Um, so I started doing trumpet lessons and then as I was doing them, I was really enjoying myself. Um, unfortunately, they said that we're going to have to raise the prices. And it was really shocking because I'm thinking that it's that I can't do them anymore because I'm, I'm on people premium and that I have to pay and it 
doesn't really seem fair because it's not about about my talent or that I want I don't want to do it it's about the money that's stopping me from doing it how much would you uh, have to pay for the lessons well I'd have to pay 50 pound which for a term yeah which I could see them, but usually I would be paying fifty pounds. But because of people premium, I wouldn't have to pay anything. And my mum said she couldn't continue it because of that money and that amount per term. Yeah, and also my brother, I have a brother in the school, and he does music lessons. So she said she couldn't pay hundred pounds per term for both of us, well, for us together. So are you going to have to stop playing the trumpet? Unfortunately, yes. Thanks for talking to me. The Askell Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton.